Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you today, and a huge shout out to all of our friends who are up in North Durham. Uh, So glad that you're joining us today. And for those who are going to join us a little bit later on online, uh, uh, welcome to you as well. This past week, uh, our denomination held its biannual conference in Banff, Alberta, and Jen and I got to go. And as part of the theme, we participated in their version of The Amazing Race. This was kind of one of the things they wanted to do as they themed out the, the, the week for us and as uh, we were talking as a domination about running the race. And so what we had to do is we had to form teams and Jen and I were on the same team, which reminded me that we could never enter the real amazing race together. Um, but that's a whole other story that I don't have time for today. But we were entered in teams and in teams we went all over Banff, Alberta and we had to find, you know, people and places and things and, and they had us doing all kinds of just crazy things in order to run the race. But the real goal was to win the race. Now, I'm mildly competitive. That is an understatement. I'm actually really competitive. And I joked with our team, you know, as we, as we sort of formed, we said, like, do we want to be competitive or do we just want to participate? Now, if you want to just participate, why are we even doing it, okay? But we decided that we were going to be, we were going to be competitive. And so I said to our team, you know, here we are trying to win the race, you know, getting dings in the rental car, tickets for illegal U-turns uh, down Banff Avenue in Banff, running up the side of a mountain, literally running up the side of a mountain, almost falling off the side of a mountain, seeing bear tracks on the side of a mountain, and all of that to win a $5 Tim's card. It's crazy, crazy. Anyways, so in our series here, this is the last of our series called Take Heart. And we're talking about a race that matters way more than the amazing race in Banff, Alberta. We're talking about this race of faith, this race of life that you and I are in. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11, at all the great men and women of faith found in Hebrews chapter 11, and we've been encouraged to take heart. To take heart. As we look at these men and women of faith, as we look at this wall of fame of faith, as we imagine their pictures hanging on the wall of fame, you and I look at these people and we take heart when we read about them, when we consider their story, when we think about their journey of faith. And so far we've had a chance to look at Abel and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Joseph and Rahab, great men and women of faith, people that we can look to and we can be encouraged, we can take heart because as we look at them, we're reminded of their journey, of their story, and we take heart. Now this series could have been weeks and weeks and weeks longer We've just had to cut it off as we enter into the summer. We didn't get a chance to look at all of the men and women of faith that are even outlined in the Great Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. And even the writer of Hebrews himself or herself had to cut short their list. In Hebrews 11.32 it says this, And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David, Samuel, and the prophets. Like, like, look at the, look at the names that the writer of Hebrew is, is skipping. Are you kidding me? Like, this is a who's who, just this list alone. Like David, he didn't do much for the kingdom. He's not a man of faith. And, and the writer of Hebrew says, I didn't even have time to talk about all of those people. But look what, where the author goes next. 
And I find it surprising where the author goes next because suddenly Hebrews 11 takes this major turn. And it's here that we begin to really understand and to get a a better picture of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about as they're pointing us to men and women of great faith. You see, so far it's been all the heroes of faith. It's been all the people that would be on the who's who list. Of course their pictures are up on the wall of faith. But are they the only ones who get commended for their faith? Are they the only ones that we look to as we run a race of faith? No, no, not at all. Look at Hebrews eleven thirty-five to 37. The writer of Hebrews says this. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. See, what the writer of Hebrews wants you and I to understand, even though these people's pictures aren't up there, and even though we don't know their individual names, he's trying to help you and I understand What faith is really all about and what a walk of faith, a run of faith, a journey, a life filled with faith is all about. See, here at C4, uh, we've talked a lot this year about suffering. And I know sometimes some people go, Dave, why do we talk about suffering? Pastor John, why are we talking so much about suffering? Well, this is why we need to talk about suffering. You can't be a follower of Jesus. You can't be a man or woman of faith unless you encounter some kind of suffering. Now, most of us in this room, thankfully, will never be sawed in two, hopefully. But, but you can't, you, you can't avoid it as men and women of faith. That the race of faith, the journey of faith, people of faith don't just come through on the mountaintop experiences, but they come through too in the valley experiences. See, when you commit your life to Jesus, when you and I say yes to being a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, it's our whole life that we give to him. It's everything that we submit to his lordship. And no matter what comes our way, Hebrews 11 is there as a great reminder to us that it doesn't matter if it's good or if it's bad, that we need to persevere And we need to keep going as men and women of faith. You know, I wonder what the prosperity gospel people do with these verses. Not a lot of health and wealth going on there, eh? Hebrews 11.39 says this. Before the writer of Hebrews moves on and where we're going to move on to today, in light of all of this, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live But the writer of Hebrews 11 says this in verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. All of these people were looking forward to something, to a promise from God. You and I have this great vantage point of looking back at Jesus' life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection. But they, they hadn't seen it yet. We've seen it. We have the scriptures we, we took all this time at Easter to talk about the proof of Jesus. And Jesus died and he rose again. We have all this proof, but they didn't have that. And yet some of them, some of them gave their lives based on a promise that they'd never seen yet. And they were commended for it. 
God said, that's what faith looks like. We have this great advantage in that we look back and we know about Jesus. We've heard about Jesus. We read about Jesus. And we too need to be men and women of faith. But you know what really struck me as I studied the passage this week? And as I reviewed the sermons that Pastor John, Pastor Laurie, and myself had already preached on these great men and women of faith, the writer of Hebrews chapter 11 is really giving us the highlights of the faith journey of all of these people. Like they're helping us see the the time when the great test came along and they passed the great test. You you know, you think think about what happened in each one of their lives. You know, Noah actually built the boat. (laughs) Abraham actually said yes and left his homeland and followed God. Moses actually took Isaac up onto that mountain and he lifted the knife. But like you and me, it struck me this week that these people were just regular people like me and like you. And I'm sure these people had, you know, the things that they struggled with, the things that, that... didn't go well with them. And I think we have enough insight into many of them to see how they struggled and what some of their faults were. We know that Noah had a drinking problem. We know that Abraham lied. We know that Sarah laughed at God. We know Moses had anger management issues. We know Joseph was spoiled and he was a bit of a braggart. We know that Rahab had a reputation. And we know that Samson and David had trouble with the ladies. You see, just like you and me, These great members of the Hall of Fame, these great people of faith, had very real struggles. And I think that's why the writer of Hebrews does what he does as he starts off chapter 12. What are we to do in light of this great Hall of Fame? Why have we taken all of this time? Why has the writer of Hebrews taken all of this time to outline these men and women of faith? Well, today as we wrap up this series, I want to give you some practical tips on how you and I can take heart. In light of chapter 11, the beginning of chapter 12, where we'll spend our time this morning, causes you and I, and can cause you and I, to take heart. To look at these men and women of faith, and to see that we can actually join them. That you and I can also be men and women of faith as we run this great race of life, and hopefully finish well. In 1979, I was in my last year of high school. Some of you are, Pastor Dave, what was the earth like in 79? (laughs) Well, it is pretty much as it is today. (laughs) But in 1979, I was in my last year of high school. And back then, I know you can't tell it today, but back then, I used to do a lot of running. And uh, I participated all the time in running. And in 1979, myself and two of my buddies got this great idea Wouldn't it be really awesome to run a marathon? So we decided we were going to run a marathon. So the three of us trained for the marathon, and we put our time in to get ready for this marathon. And we started out, because for, for runners, the ultimate test of endurance and the ultimate test of whether you really cut it as a runner or not is finishing the marathon. So the very first Toronto Labatt's Marathon... I, I entered into it with my two buddies. 26 miles, 365 yards, or 42.2 kilometers. So the three of us entered into it, and we were all pumped at the start. We were ready to go. We're going to take this thing. This is going to be a 
cakewalk, nothing to it. And so we started at York University up to Highway 7, along Highway 7, all the way from Highway 7 down Bayview to Front Street, across Front Street, and finished at one of the hotels down there. So we were ready. We were pumped to go. So we started out slow and steady because we were smart, and we knew that you can't go out like a rabbit at the start of a marathon. It's a long race. And at about the 10-mile mark or 16-kilometer mark, the guy who was the best runner of the three of us, he got stomach cramps. And he said, guys, I can't go. I can't go. And so we encouraged him. Come on, Joe, you can do this. You're way better than the, the other two of us. You can make it. And he said, no, I just can't do it. I can't do it. And he dropped out. He just folded and he just dropped out. Well, Don and I kept going. And we kept going and we were encouraging each other. And we were feeling really good. Until we got to the 19-mile mark or the 30-kilometer mark. And then Don said to me, Dave, I don't think I can make it. I said, Don, you're a way better runner than I am. Of course you can make it. You can do this. I need you. Stick with me. You know, let's keep going. And he said, Dave, I can't make it. I just can't make it. You go on ahead and I'll just try and do it. So I went on ahead and I found some other people that I could run with. who were kind of going about my pace. And so I kept going. And in the marathon is this thing called the wall that you hit. And really it's a physiological thing that happens where, where your body has used up all of its stored resources... And now the body has to get energy from somewhere else. And so it kind of attacks your muscles. And so I'm running along. And at 20 mile mark, or, you know, about, uh, I guess that's about, what, 30, 34 kilometers, is usually where you hit the wall. And we were coming down Bayview Avenue when we turned this corner. And there's lines of ambulances. And I was like, man, must be a terrible accident. But what happened was, as people were running along, and I'm running, just jogging beside people, people start dropping like flies. And if any of you have run, it's really like crazy. They literally start dropping. And so people are dropping out, and then ambulance people are helping them, stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm going through, and I'm like, hey, I am immune to the wall. So I'm like, man, I'm a... You know, I'm a marathon machine. I'm going to pick the pace up a little bit. So I get going a little quicker. And I'm like, "Mm, here we go. And at 21 miles, 34 kilometers, I hit it. I hit the wall. Now, I would have quit if there'd been ambulances. (laughs) But there weren't any at this point. They were all back here somewhere. And so I started walking, and literally I was like a grandpa walking. I was like one, I was like this. And people were encouraging me. They came alongside me and they said, hey, just keep going. Just keep going. You're going to get it. You're going to be okay. Breathe and start jogging when you can. And so I started jogging. At first, like, I can't even mimic it because I'll look like, you know, something's really wrong with me. And, and, and I started jogging. And eventually I finished the marathon. Yeah, it's great. It's great. But I tell you that story to tell you that's what the Christian life is like. See, we're not sprinters. (laughs) We're not sprinters. Anybody can run like 9.86 seconds. About 20, 20, 20, 20 meters I'd get in that. But, you know, but we're not sprinters. We are distance runners. The race that we are in, this race of faith, this race of following Jesus, is a lifelong marathon. And that's what you and I need to train for. That's what you and I need to understand that we are engaged in. We're engaged in this thing that is a mammoth race. It's going to require everything that we've got to make it to the finish line.
So we turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Now that we've looked at all that the writer of Hebrews has talked about in these great men and women of faith, by name or not, and the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So in order to make it to the finish line in this race of faith, what do you and I need to do? In light of everybody that we've looked at in Hebrews chapter 11, as we conclude this whole series, what do you and I do in order to finish well in the race of life? I want to share some things with you from Hebrews 12. The first one is you need to travel light. You need to travel light. Look at Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Here's the picture. It is an athletic metaphor that the writer of Hebrews is using, undoubtedly here pointing back to their sort of equivalent of the Olympic Games. And what you have is this imagery where all of the people, so we're announcing all of the runners in the race, and they're all coming out, and they're coming out, and all the runners look stealth, and, and they're all ready to go in this race. And very often back in, in, in the days when this was written, uh, people would run with as little on as possible so that they had you know, less weight, less encumbrances, less drag. And all of the runners of the race are all lined up, and out comes you or me in the race of faith. And we come plodding out, and we've got our work boots on, we've got an old baggy pair of jeans on, we got a shirt on, we got our winter coat on, we got a toque on, and we got a hat on, and we're like standing at the finish line, yeah, I'm ready to run. I'm ready to run with these guys. Not a chance. It's not going to happen. You're not going to compete like that. What you need to do in order to compete in the race is you need to get rid of everything that hinders you, everything that encumbers you in this great race. You need to get rid of those boots. You need to get rid of those jeans. You need to take off that winter coat, the toque and the gloves. You need to get down and you need to get a pair of shorts on. You get a t-shirt on. You get your best running shoes on. And now you're ready to run the race. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying to you and I. We need to travel light. In our race of faith, we need to get rid of the things that slow us down. The things that have the potential to trip you and me up in the race, in the marathon of life. We need to get rid of stuff that we don't need for the race. The things that are going to hurt us. What kind of things am I talking about? What are the habits? What are the habits that you're trying to break? What are the habits that you just can't seem to kick? What are the habits that you're really giving a really great, decent, 50% average effort at breaking? Not giving 100% at breaking them. What are the hang-ups that you just can't seem to get over? What are some of the hurts? What are some of your past experiences? Where have other people let you down? Where have other people hurt you? Where has the church not treated you like you thought you should have been treated? Where has the music not been the way you really love it? Where has the preacher not actually been more encouraging than you wanted him to be? 
Those are the questions, my friends. Those are the hang-ups. Those are the things that we just add on to ourselves. And then we wonder why we can't run the race of faith. Why we can't compete. The right of Hebrews is just encouraging me and encouraging you. That we're not sprinters. We're long-distance runners. And you can't carry extra weight over a marathon. It'll kill you every time. See, anything of great value requires an all-out effort to achieve it. If a person wants to be a great world-class athlete, they have to have sacrifice and training and determination. If a person wants to be a great CEO of a company, it requires education and skill and training and all-out effort. And if you and I want to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we want to be what I would call world-class followers of Jesus Christ, then it requires us doing whatever it takes to run the marathon. See, too many people, I think, go into the marathon and going, you know what, I haven't really trained, but I kind of enjoy jogging around the block once in a while. I think I'll go in the marathon. You don't, actually, those people don't even try that, but if they're foolish enough to try that, they're a casualty long before we get to the ambulances. And so many people go into Christian life like that. You have this great experience where you meet Jesus. And he profoundly changes your life. And you're like, okay, great. So now that's done with. Now I got my internal fire insurance all looked after. Now what I'll do is I'll just live life whatever way I want. Not true, my friends. You can't do it. You just can't do it. It's not possible. Not in a marathon. Well, the second thing that I see the writer of Hebrews encouraging us with is this. To keep your focus. <laughs> Hebrews 12 and verse 2 says... Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sometimes we get discouraged in the race, don't we? I know I do, and I know you do. And when I kind of look at my own life and when I'm a bit more reflective, Oftentimes I find that I get discouraged when I look at my circumstances or when I begin to look at other people. You know, I look at some other people and I say, like, why don't I have what they have? <laughs> why, can't I, why can't I sing like these guys? Why can't I play the guitar? I'd love to. Be awesome. And so I begin to look at these people and I begin to put my eyes on them. Or, or why, why can't I do what she does? Why can't I speak like she does? What, why can't I cook that way? Why can't I be such an awesome host? They just seem to throw stuff out and it all lands, you know, sunny side up. Why can't I do that? Why don't I have there? And you just fill in the blank. Why don't I have there? You fill in the blank. And what happens is we begin to get discouraged when our focus is on other people. But this verse tells us that our focus needs to be on Jesus. This is a picture of concentration in the race. The runner who is well-trained learns to focus on what's important and to block out the unimportant stuff in the race. And in running, training is one of the most important things that you can do. Through repetition in training, you get to, uh, to simulate in microcosm what you'll actually do on race day. That's why in all sports, in all sports, you practice. Why do you practice? You practice because it gets you used to what you'll actually do 
on game day or race day. And every day you and I get to run the race. Every day we are running the race of faith. And practice is so important to us. Training is so important. Every day you and I need to focus. Every day for us is race day. One of the greatest helps to us in the race of life is church. I I honestly don't know where I'd be without church in my life. As an 11 or 12-year-old young guy growing up in Northern Ireland, it was the church that came around me and taught me how to pray, taught me how to read my Bible, showed me what running the race really looked like. It was as a 16, 17-year-old guy who emigrated and came to Canada who was angry at his parents for moving. It was the church that came around me and loved me and became a second family. It was that same church and the people in that church who taught me that I was loved and that I was important and that God had a plan for my life. And that plan included the things that had already happened to me. It was the church that came around Jen and I when we went through difficult times, when we went through times of great joy and great struggle as a couple, when we have times of great heartache as a couple, it was always the church and the people in the church that came around us and comforted us and helped us and met our needs and wept with us and prayed with us and sat with us. See, I don't know how you run the race. I don't know how you run the race alone. And this is why at C4 we say, you got to get to church. Do do we say that because we, you know, if you don't show up, I'm going to feel terrible? Look, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I don't care if you come or not because I still get paid. I don't get a commission. We're not based on commission. The reason we tell you to come to church is because running the race of life is important. And you come and you worship together and you're corporately taught and we hang out together. And you get in your connect groups because you can do life together there in small community. And our connect group has been amazing with Jen and I. They've been amazing and we've supported one another. Because we got to keep our focus. And it's so easy to get distracted. And our focus must always be on Jesus. But Jesus' people show up all the time in my life. Well, the third piece out of this passage that I want to encourage you with is just simply to take heart. To take heart. In Hebrews 12 and verse 3 it says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Who's this verse talking about? Well, it's talking about Jesus, right? And if ever anyone led a life characterized by purpose, it was Jesus. If ever anyone was focused, it was Jesus. You look at his life in the Gospels and you see that throughout Jesus' life, people were always trying to get him to go places and do all kinds of things that he said, I don't want to do those things. That is not my focus. That is not my purpose. You and I need to be people of purpose. We need to know why God has saved us and what he has called us to do. Like, why has God given you the talents and the abilities that God has given you? Why are you wired the way that you're wired? Why are you passionate about certain things and couldn't care less about other things? 
Because God has shaped you for a purpose. And here's the key. If you run the race of faith with purpose, you'll find fulfillment and significance. Otherwise, you'll grow tired and you will grow weary and you will give up. But these verses are telling us, take heart. Take heart, my friends. Jesus Christ endured the cross and all of its shame for you and for me. He died so that we could live an abundant, full life. He has given us all that we need to run the race of faith and to cross that finish line at the end of life, a winner. So take heart. Consider him. Take heart. Look at what Jesus endured and take heart. Look at these men and women of faith in Hebrews 11 and take heart, my friends. They're given as examples. Look in our own congregation at men and women of faith and take heart, my friends. Look in your connect group at the people who are running the race and who are running well and take heart. See, this series has has been about encouragement all the way through. It's been about looking at these great men and women in Hebrews 11 and seeing some of the ups and also understanding some of the downs of their lives. The times where they passed the test and the times when they failed terribly. But at the end, at the end, they were still running the race and they crossed the finish line well. And that's the whole reason Hebrews 11 is in there. So that you and I can take heart. But the way that we take heart is by running light. So how are you doing? How's the race of faith going for you? Are you running light? Are you actively dealing with the stuff that slows you down and that hurts you in this race of faith that's going to take the rest of your life? Are you being intentional about keeping your focus? Are you surrounding yourself with people who help you to keep your focus in the everyday stuff of life? Are you, are you coming to church? Are you plugging in to your connect group or to Summer Connect? See, these things are so important for us to run the race well. And so I want you to be encouraged today. As you think about Hebrews 11, as you think about men and women of great faith, please take heart. All of you, take heart. Like, I, I, I'm not going to, so you don't have to freak out a little bit. I, I, I almost want to walk down and look to some of you right in the eye and just say to you, take heart. Just take heart. God is for you. He's not against you. He's given you these great examples for your encouragement, not for rebuke. Yeah, you might have some stuff still to deal with, but it's it's good. Jesus has given us the victory already. He's risen from the dead, right? The victory is in Jesus. He's given you his Holy Spirit inside you, right? That's what the scripture says. So live by faith, not by sight. Work through your stuff. Keep your focus strong and take heart and be encouraged. And see what God will do with you. So that as those who are yet to come, those who are younger even in our own church, when they see your picture on the wall, they'll say, oh, there's so-and-so. I'm going to take heart. I'm going to take heart because there they are. And I saw their life up close. 
and they deserve to be on the wall. So, Lord, help us. I mean, it's not always easy, Jesus, and, and, you know, all of us in this room know that. But would you just help us to take heart? Would you help us to put our hope and our trust and our faith and our confidence in you? And we look to you as our great example. And we, now, we, we recommit ourselves to running this race for your glory, honor, and praise in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.